Welcome to Let's Get Lit Podcast Book Club with a Twist. I don't think we've ever once said it in the same order, and I kind of dig that because there should be only maybe three combinations, but I think you've come up with a good, you know, 12 at this point. Have Uh, we done 12 podcasts at this point? Oh, for sure. Episodes, I should say. We've just done the one podcast, but sometimes it feels like 12 different podcasts. Exactly. So anyway, I'm your host, Brandy. And, and I'm here in the star. <laughs> I'm here in this living room studio with. <coughs> That's my <A> line. <laughs> I'm usually the one that has a cough. How dare you? And this my book, thunder. we is book we read this oh week. Gosh. We read a book called Molokai. We did, and we decided it's Molokai, and I was saying Molokai all last episode and I feel like it felt right and then when I looked it up I felt really stupid and white for pronouncing it that way that's okay I think that I am well, stupid and white I do but in the book on the book jacket it has an apostrophe between the a and exactly. the i exactly and <clears throat> I was told by the internet that in the Hawaiian language that means you're supposed to put a natural pause there so Molokai. They, so you were probably saying it right according to Hawaiian grammatical rules. I think that's fair. And, you know, given how easy it is for us to get through these last couple of sentences, I feel like we should tell the people what we're drinking. I would gladly tell the people what we're drinking. Um, We are drinking pina coladas. And getting caught in the rain. It is raining. (laughs) It is actually raining. And... It's a frigid January day. And I feel like when we pick these, or when I pick these drinks, I probably should pick them a little bit more in line with, like, their history. But I just pick them and then find out the history behind them. So the pina colada is actually the national drink of Puerto Rico. Oh. (laughs) Well. Yeah, that's pretty different. Not Hawaii. (laughs) But it seems vacation Well, both part of the U.S. Mm Mm-hmm. So... There's the common thread. Mm-hmm. Both on like kind Manifest of destiny. unfair circumstances. Exactly. I learned a lot about the Hawaiian history in reading this book. And all of it made me angry and sad. I mean, I feel like there was so much history in this book that it almost anesthetized you to all of the horrific and sad things just because it was like on to the next historical tragedy however like the whole Hansen's disease thing I'm trying not to call it leprosy anymore (laughs) um was pretty awful and this is a really sad book good story yeah (laughs) that's my review sad book Hansen's disease Time to rate? No, let's talk about the drink a little bit more first. So, apparently, pina coladas have been around since, like, ish, somewhere in the 19th century. And there was a pirate... It was a pirate drink. Mm. Which, obviously... It sounds great. I know. So, um, the pirate, who I don't exactly know how to pronounce the his Dread name... The Dread Pirate Roberts... It was the Dread Pirate Roberto Colfrese. Mm. Um, so he was trying to boost his pirate crew morale and gave them a cocktail that was like coconut, pineapple, and rum. And that was like the original. I bet that boosted the fuck out of their morale. Exactly. That was the original pina colada. And eventually it like became a famous thing because they were like, oh, pirate drink, whatever. But then he died and no one knew the recipe for his famous pina colada. So they just kind of. doesn't sound that complicated. Well, I mean, that's because nobody knows what the recipe is. They're just, like, saying that's probably what it was. Gotcha. So they um, reinvented the pina colada into what it is today, which is rum, coconut cream, um, and pineapple juice. And usually it's blended. Um, I blended ours too thick, so now it's kind of like ice cream, coconut cream. I'm not mad about it. It's pretty delicious. It's kind of like a milkshake cocktail. I'm pretty into it. I used to work at... um, bar restaurant that was like tropical themed when I was in college and we made pina coladas there and they used ice cream in them did they really mm -hmm. it was ice cream um ice cream coconut cream 
and pineapple juice and rum, but it was like not even that much rum. It was mostly just ice cream. And they sold them for like $14. I mean, it seems like fair enough. It was basically a milkshake. I just, I do love a good boozy milkshake, so I'm glad that our drink tonight is basically a boozy Puerto Rican milkshake. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with Molokai. Not at all, but it is really delicious. Um, and we're also drinking these at the wrong time of the year because National Pina Colada Day is on July 10th. Yeah, so we're at the exact wrong time of the year. Like, it, we're basically on... Pina Colada Day's six, like, half birthday, you could say. Oh, yeah. Close enough. Yeah, um, more or less. So, the other thing to point out about Pina Coladas is that there's the song about Pina Coladas. And getting caught in the rain. Yes. If you're not into yoga. If, if you, you have half, half a brain. brain. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you... Oh, stop. But I could That's go That's the one about where he's like... My wife's so boring, I'm going to go cheat on her. And then secretly, he's cheating on her and finds out it is my wife. And it's a happy song. In reality, that would not go that well. In reality, that would be so awkward. It reminds me of, like, when... I don't remember what it reminds me of. (laughs) I I know what it reminds you of. Thank you. Tell me. That one urban legend where the dad goes to, like, visit his daughter in her college town and, like, goes to buy a hooker. And then when the hooker comes, it's his His daughter. daughter. And they're both like, let's never tell mom. Yeah, because it's just one of those things where you're like, so it's not an actually, like, good situation because everybody loses because Mm -hmm. actually you'd realize, like, hey, our relationship is even more unstable. You're cheating on me. How dare you? This is what it reminds me of when people who are dating match with each other on Tinder or see like their boyfriend or girlfriend oh on my Tinder god. and then they're like, oh my God. And they just immediately block them and hope that their boyfriend or girlfriend hasn't seen them. But I'm like, uh, yeah, like you're both in the wrong here. Like that's a sign that you should both stay on Tinder and like, has that happened to anyone you know? I've, I have... Um, I've heard the story. So it's possible that story. it's like an urban legend. I can't reveal the names of people, but that was literally like the situation where it was like someone was mad at their boyfriend because they were like, I was on Tinder just because I was just looking like my friends do it. And I was like, I'm curious. I wasn't actually going to meet up with anyone and then like saw her boyfriend on Tinder and was like, you're a piece of S. I guess I can swear shit. And, but was like, I just immediately blocked him and like deleted my account. And I'm like, well, then you're guilty if you're not like, so I was doing this to like match for a friend or something and I saw you. Remember that one time you saw my future husband on match.com after we'd been dating for six months? I wasn't going to call it out, but I do remember that moment being like, so weird situation. (laughs) Is this your fiance? I do like that it was, like, just pure laziness. It was like, I didn't know. And yeah. in most cases, I'd be like, I call nonsense. But I actually think that was the case, knowing your fiance. That he mm-hmm. was just like, well, I logged out. What else do you want from me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, good story. Yeah. Although I made him cancel his thing and then forwarded me his cancellation email, so I knew. That's good. At least you followed up on that. You're no fool, and you suffer none neither. I know, but we don't have a prenup, so maybe I should have just let it right out, and then I could have taken everything. I still have the screenshots. No, I don't. I was going to say, do you really? No, I just have your fiance's old phone now. Well, that's true. But sadly, there's nothing on it. But I'm sure if we gave it to a tech nerd and dug deep enough, we could find everything. Funny you say that, because the other day, I took a bunch of photos for work on this like nice camera that I have and then I asked my fiance to put them online for me Mm -hmm. so that I could use them and then he put them online and then deleted the sim cards or deleted the the memory cards Mm -hmm. and then I texted him and I was like hey you didn't put any of the videos on our like google photos and he's like there were videos I deleted everything and I'm like this is really problematic for me because I was supposed to make this video for work. And anyway, 
Turns out he like found some weird like hacker code to like reprogram the thing and it pulled up videos that we'd recorded like three years ago that were like That's still embedded on this thing. I was like, so nothing's ever gone. It turns out I do remember at one point <coughs> recording a video for like someone's birthday thing and it was perfect and then I accidentally deleted it when I tried to send it and I kept trying to re-record it and I was like, I can't recreate this magic. And so I was looking forever online, like, how do I, like, get this back? And there were definitely ways, but then it seemed like it was more effort than just re-recording a two-minute video. So I went with the latter, but I was like, shit, man, how many times have I, like, taken pictures of something weird just to see, like, hey... What does it look like down there? Okay, delete, delete. No, and then, it is no, not it's gone. It's still there. I know. I feel like, you know how your parents tell you, or your mom will tell you, like, don't send naked pictures of yourself because it's out there forever. Like, I'm going to tell my future daughters, like, and sons, because who wants a dick pic? Yeah. Ew. That, like, if you ever take naked pictures of yourself... Your dad over here is going to go through your deleted uh, images on your phone and they're going to know. Oh God, that also reminds me. So this is actually in a way kind of a disturbing story. I don't even know if I've told you this because I remember just being so freaked out by it. When I was 16, I had like a webcam as we all did. And at a certain point, I remember like walking around my room and seeing like the webcam was on all the oh, time. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, and I was just like, what is going on? But didn't think that much of it. And then I was just like... AIMing someone and all of a sudden it kept typing weird things like hey I want to see my boobs hey I want to see my boobs and I was like I'm not typing this what's going on and then all of a sudden my whole screen went black and it was just like you need to send me nudes or I am going to send every picture on your computer to everyone in your life I have all oh like my God, all this stuff stop. and this is like when I was 16 so I was like I don't even know what revenge porn is like what's happening and I was sitting there like Go for it, dude. Like, I don't have any weird pictures. Like, I've taken no weird pictures of myself. Yeah, I'm and, 16. Yeah, I'm 16. I'm clearly a moral, upstanding teenager. <laughs> but, um, and then it, I'm assuming a he, because come on. Yeah. Was well, like, don't do that. yeah. And was like, you know, all the photos you delete are there forever, right? And my heart stopped because I was like, yeah, there were so many times when I was like, what does this look like? And I take the picture and then delete it immediately. Uh -huh. And I was just like, oh. but then I disconnected my computer, went to the library, learned how to like delete viruses and malware and was like, okay. And deleted everything. And it seemed to work out because I never heard from the creep again. But That's terrifying. It was so terrifying. But like, I think it was just some like amateur hacker that was like, I'm going to see if I can scare this they person. They were probably looking at your boobs. Oh, a hundred percent. Watching, just watching you. Watching naked. me just like it's walk like around my room. The so Truman Show. Yeah. That, remember, well, that, not remember, remember when that happened, that one, like, news person, the girl? No. It happened to, like, well, no, it wasn't that, but they were, like, they drilled a hole in her wall in the Marriott, <sighs> and they were watching oh, her. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I do. And it, I will say, like, I remember just feeling so violated, but yes. then I was 16, so I got over it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, you hear those stories now, and I'm like, dude, that was just, like, the tip of the iceberg, and I was lucky that it was someone that clearly didn't know what the fuck that they were doing, where I could just be like, hey, I found this thing that, like, this Trojan on my computer, and I got rid of it, and they yeah. got rid of the problem. Yeah. But Well, that's why you should boobs. always cover your... Webcam. Webcam with, like, even with, like, scotch tape, it'll blur it enough that people can't see you. But that happened to a woman I used to work with. Like, I used to work remotely a lot, so we were always traveling and she was mm -hmm. in her hotel and like she realized that her webcam was just like on all the time in her hotel room and it's like a hotel it's like your whole place is one room and so she Ugh. was like six months and she didn't even notice it when she like went in to turn her laptop in because it was acting funky they found it and they were like yeah your webcam has been recording and like sending to some remote place for like six months that's so fucking scary i know she ended up quitting her job over it yeah because she was just like she like felt such a huge invasion of privacy and she was like the fact that like this computer is not safe enough for me to like just be on it it yeah. was like terrifying which i get it yeah, that's... Oh, man, this took quite a detour. I feel like How talking about... start on this? I don't know, but leprosy seems, like, positively delightful oh, in we comparison. Oh, talking about pina coladas. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> they had such so, a dark history. They're so dark. Who knew? Ooh. Um, anyway, so we're drinking pina coladas and going to dark places. 
and we read Molokai. We think it's pronounced that way. Do we want to start with readings, or do you want to talk about... Um, I think we should start just, like, chatting about the book. We actually came up with some rating questions, which doesn't happen that often. We're usually not so prepared. Okay, shoot. My first question is... Basically, like, now everything that we know about leprosy and how it spread, like, obviously we realize it wasn't necessary to quarantine all these people, but, like, it definitely worked, and in retrospect, given what they knew at the time, do we think it was unfair to quarantine all of these people with this disease on another island? I have a lot to say about this. Public you health. know how I feel about public health. And I think that given what they knew at the time, it was reasonable to quarantine people mm-hmm. because that's basically how they isolated diseases. However, I feel like if you're going to quarantine people for that at at that time, like you need to quarantine people in a way that's like respectful and like isn't basically violating all of their rights. Like mm-hmm. you look at it now and like people with Ebola are quarantined, you know, like mm-hmm. they when you're afraid of a disease, like that's a natural thing to do. And obviously from a non-public health standpoint, if the zombie apocalypse is going to start, like quarantines are how you figure out what the disease is and you isolate it and you treat it. I think the problem is, is that when you quarantine all of these people on an island and then you basically just like aren't working to give them any sort of a decent quality of life like the people when they first went there i mean those conditions are horrific yeah they didn't even have shelter or like food or anything they basically dropped them on this island and were like figure it out and you're all so sick and there's no one to take care of you yeah i think that that stuff is horrible and the fact that like the catholic church came in and like took care of those people i mean i think that that's huge and Mm -hmm. you know that i don't say nice things about religion like ever because of how I feel about it but I also feel like there's situations like that where like the kind of people it takes to do that kind of work and the resources it takes to do that kind of work those people don't exist in any other capacity or didn't at least at that time like you didn't there weren't public welfare type programs that enabled people who weren't religious to do that kind of work and like it was people were terrified it was so stigmatized Like, people who worked on the island couldn't even really go home because they worked there. Like, it was it was really sad. Well, and even, I mean, part of the... So, we're going through, you know, Rachel's story, and it's all very sad. And one of the things that is sad is when she gets to this island, you know, she has an uncle who's there who wants to take care of her. And they're like, no, no, you mm-hmm. got to go live with the nuns. But it is something where that seems so unjust and unfair. But to your point, like... No one else came in to take care of these people and they set up some of these rules to try to protect the young girls and the young boys because they were being victimized by adults because they had no protection. So all of these things which like seemed and like come on like at a certain point like have some common sense but you know they had all these rules in place to try to help them and it was just such a rigid society because it was like all the nuns making the rules yeah well and I also feel like it was a little bit weird because the main rule was that you would have to live with the nuns unless you had a like direct family member who could take care of you who was like morally sound Mm -hmm. but the reason that they wouldn't let her uncle take care of her was because like he was technically he'd been married Mm -hmm. and he, even though his wife divorced him, like, and he, like, had met But the met church this, doesn't acknowledge divorce. They don't acknowledge divorce. And so he was, like, he'd, like, met some woman on the island and had, like, a new relationship Polyola. with her. Yeah. And, like, they had, like, a, a relationship. And because he had a relationship with her, he was considered, like, you know, someone who was violating the rules of the church and, like, then couldn't take care of his fucking, like, Yeah, niece, because basically is, he was... I'm, like, not morally fit. Yeah, which is just fucking bullshit. Yeah, but, I mean, that's a lot of... That's one of the reasons why people have trouble with, like, the hypocrisy of religion sometimes when it doesn't always add up. But I think that's kind of a good microcosm of, like, the pluses and minuses of religion. Like, sometimes these things are like, this just doesn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. how are we just overlooking the fact that, like these rules or this logic is not sound but Mm -hmm. also like you said a lot of the people that come in 
and are willing to do things that no one else will do and help people in a way that everyone else is scared to. Like, a lot of that comes from these religious institutions where they have, like, a devotion to serve people and, you know, serve a higher power. Totally. Thank God for that. Eh? Eh? (laughs) I agree. And the whole thing is, like, really tragic. I feel like if you were... I mean, I think you have to look at all the other circumstances around it, too. There's things like you know, syphilis and the plague and all these other diseases that were just had the people in Hawaii had never been exposed to. And so mm-hmm. they were just particularly susceptible to them. Well, yeah. Since they're on an Island, everything that came over their bodies had never had an opportunity to build resistance up to these diseases. I know. And I feel like the moral of most of the books that we read is like white people are the worst. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't ever not been the theme of, any of the books we've read, I'd say, right? Maybe, no, I was going to say Confederacy of Dunces, nope. which is a Beastwick, maybe. But I like, guess, yeah, which is a Eastwick didn't have anything to do with anything. But did it have, any, yeah, I was just going to say, like, but was there a point? That's the real kicker. No. Um, yeah, I can't think of any other book. Maybe Anna Karenina, because they were all white people. But like, but their moral of the story was still like rich people, which rich white people are the worst. Yeah, they, they somehow like, managed to make that point. Yeah, well, because there was so much talk about farming. I think that's the key, really. <laughs> but yeah, maybe the problem is like rich people who take advantage of people who are not in power. Like maybe it's people in power who like take advantage of other people. That's the problem. Yeah, no one should have power. Everyone should join a convent. Or a smutty coven. Whatever (laughs) floats your boat. You're just over here, like, supporting communism. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. But, okay. (laughs) My goodness. So, also, I feel like we need to talk about the fact that we both love historical fiction so much. Yes. So, this kind of book is super up our alley. And I learned a lot. And it's so fun to learn it in a way where you're like, hey, I don't even know I'm learning. Because I'm just, like, caught up in the story. But I feel like I have to admit that I read this book in 36 hours. Because I was late to the party. That's not the way to read this book. It's not. This book is, like, much better if you long digest it. It's very relaxing. Well, and I feel like I just want to point that out early in this cast. Because... Some of my feelings, I bet I would have felt differently if I wasn't reading it with like a hurry the F up. I got to be in a meeting in five minutes because I was literally reading this book every free chance I got. So like on the train, reading it, like would get into work and would be working. And then I was like five minutes to a meeting. I'm going to read this for five minutes. Then like, okay, I'm cooking dinner. I'm going to read this while I'm chopping onions, which is real hard to do because my (laughs) eyes water. Like I... Like, on the treadmill. Do you know how hard it is to read a book on a treadmill? Real hard. You're, like, bouncing up and down. I don't run. Not just your boobs. Um, Well, it was really difficult. And so, like, there's parts in this book that I expect were, like, really tragic. Like, her being separated from her parents. Like, all these people in her life that died. And I often had the response, like, when someone would die in her life, I was just like, another one. Like... I wish this person had less friends so we could speed this thing along. So, like, I was not reading it with the right frame of mind, you could say. That's accurate. But looking back on it, I'm like, it was a good book for sure. And I would say, like, what would you find the most, like, what tugged at your heartstrings the most in either a tragic or a heartfelt moving way? I think that the thing that I liked the most about it or that I thought was the most emotional was, like, kind of the fact that despite all of this seemingly unsurmountable tragedy that this person faced that they managed to have some semblance of like normalcy and like their life just kept kind of going along and I think like if you're I keep saying like I'm sorry it's just pina colada I always say like there's nothing wrong with it it just accentuates the words that you're saying we're from California. It's the way we talk. My mouth is just really cold and it's a filler. <laughs> I was thinking these pina coladas, it's like they numb your mouth a little bit. And so then it's harder to get the words out. So it we're is. slurring because of pina coladas, which is probably what she thought. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Brandy. Well, I think that, you know, if you've ever dealt with depression, then when you're depressed, you kind of feel like whatever you're dealing with, there's no way that your life is going to get better or move on and Mm -hmm. that you're just kind of stuck against a wall or you're just like in a pit kind of looking up. And I feel like 
you know, the way that she lived her life, like there was, he made her like a very fallible person. Like there's lots of instances in the book where she was basically just being like a huge bitch because her life had been so shitty to her, but she just kind of kept, kept kind of staying alive. Along. You know, like she literally, she all she did was like, she just kind of kept staying alive and her life just kind of kept happening. And I think that that's one of those things that I thought was kind of beautiful about the book is like, not like despite all these things she like overcame, cause she didn't really overcome anything. It was like her whole life was really, really hard, Mm -hmm. but none of it was like not worth living, you know, that like she still got something out of the whole experience. And so I think that that for me was like kind of profound. And I also think that if you were speeding through this book, you would not appreciate that. That's fair. I will say like there were certain parts where I really related, like I felt a lot of empathy for her at the beginning of the book where like Mm -hmm. she's being separated from her parents And I was like, this is a child. You can't take them away from your parents. And then just being, like, shipped off to another island. And just that, like, separation of, like, her from her family. And Mm -hmm. not really having anyone there to comfort her. But then she would realize, like, oh, my parents and family write me letters. And Mm -hmm. I actually have my uncle here who comes to visit me every day. And a lot of these kids there, their parents were just like, I want nothing to do with you because, like, dishonor on our family. And I thought that was really, really tough. And I also just really related from a perspective of, like, I was a very homesick child. Like, Mm -hmm. if I went away and I was like, this is the worst. I'm going. And I remember just being like, I'm going to die because I miss being home so much. And so she has these moments of homesickness where she's like, I'll never be happy again because I'll never be home again. And I was like, I totally remember feeling that way. Except for me, I just had to like stick out three more days of horseback riding camp and I could not do it where I'm like yeah you kind of had no choice and just had to keep living with the nuns and it seems pretty tough yeah I mean I think like her the the whole arc of her life was really tragic because she had like this seemingly normal life living in Hawaii with her family and her brothers and you know her mom was like kind of like tough tough bitch you know but like loving and her dad was gone all the time out you know whatever he did on singing sea sailor. chanties yeah is it chanty what do you what is it i don't know i think you're right i just for whatever reason that sounded weird to me well you sound weird to me you say like a lot have you noticed it's really you. embarrassing i like um also not to make things personal but like the parents in this book reminded me a lot of your parents yeah i can see that. i remember thinking this is so bleep and bleep it it is (laughs) it is bleep and bleep (laughs) so i was expecting you to relate to certain parts of that but again maybe this is me projecting on you much like when we read anna karenina and i just assumed that you related to anna like thinking everyone was ugly as fuck (laughs) And you were like, that was not my takeaway. And I thought, oh, huh, surprising. Well, it's funny because now that you say that, I it makes totally a lot of sense. see where you're coming from. Because I think that that's actually very accurate. That her family dynamic was probably very similar to mine. And I think, like, it gives me a little bit more empathy for my own mother. That, like... It's she's tough not, love. She's not good at showing, like, the I love yous off the bat. But, like, the fact that she worried so much about her daughter and, like, tried to do everything that she could to, like, help her get better and you know poked at her little red thingy on the back of her leg and was like paid all that money to the doctor to try to heal her and stuff like that yeah i think the main reason that i didn't relate is because the mom was like such a religious like zealot that like is very opposite of my mom mm-hmm. but i think she still has her zealot tendencies well in i was just areas. gonna say it doesn't always show up as religion in some people yeah. it's just like you said that kind of like adherence to these really like strong rules or beliefs and Mm -hmm. where the dad was kind of like more fun loving and easygoing and Mm -hmm. like fun for the kids to be around but also like the mom was the one holding it together yeah totally but yeah that seemed complicated but i will say how did you feel rachel's family reacted to her hansen's disease did you (sighs) Because it kind of changes throughout the book at the beginning, middle, and end. You think it's different things. Like, in the beginning, they seem to really do everything they can to, like, try to help her. And then Mm -hmm. at a certain point, they seem to give up on her. Where she thinks, like, 
Her mom and her siblings have completely abandoned her. Later in the book, she finds out that wasn't the case. It was actually more complicated than that and kind of is able to reconnect with at least her sister and her, you know, long lost child. But, spoiler alert! (laughs) Well, I think it, I mean, her family, I mean, like we just talked about, her, her mom and dad and everyone, they were, like, really empathetic and really tried to, like, help her get better. And then when she didn't, I mean, I think that, I feel like we're going to give away a lot of spoilers. If you haven't read this book, like, it's probably don't too late listen. at this point. So her her little brother gets Hansen's disease also and dies, like, pretty soon thereafter, even though... After she is quarantined. Yeah, so after after she's quarantined and um, he gets Hansen's disease and he dies after, like, a year or so. And so her family just assumed that she was also dead because... They had, like, moved to Maui to, like, hide the little brother. And And he deteriorated so quickly. Yeah, that they just assumed, like, yeah, she's probably also dead. But also, the logic about that, like, he wasn't being treated, guys. Yeah. He wasn't being treated. I don't know, the whole thing sucks, and I feel like a lot of this could have been improved with the internet. Like, had people just been able to communicate a little bit better? Because I think what happened was you know, her family tried to, like, run away and hide when the little brother got sick because they didn't want people to know where they were because they were trying to basically make it so he wasn't getting, um, he wouldn't get, like, deported into the camp. Because mm-hmm. the mom was basically like, yeah, like, you're not taking another kid away I've from me. I've lost one kid. I'm not losing a fucking other. Exactly. And so they kind of had to run All away I'll have and left hide. is my bitch daughter who uh, turned the first kid in in the first place. Oh Can God. we talk about that? What? Sisters are such bitch. bitches. I feel like the sister dynamic, I was like, I get it. I don't know why sisters can be so fucking evil to each other. I know. And I did, I will say so... If you didn't read this book and you're just like, whatever, at this point, I'm just here drinking freaking pina coladas. Um, the sister ends up kind of in the heat of the moment at the school being like, you leper. And everyone's like, what? She is a leper? And so then they come to investigate at Rachel's home and they're like, yep, definitely has Hansen's disease. Off you go, kid. And I did think like, yeah, obviously that sucked for Rachel. But I think that sucked even more for the sister because you know she lived with that guilt for the rest of her oh, fucking life. Can you even imagine how horrible you And would you're feel? like, you're just being a kid where you're like fighting and kids say the worst thing they can think of. And that was just something that had some pretty serious repercussions. But let's be honest, at a certain point, the disease was going to show itself. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have gotten away with it forever. That's true. Although her like manifestation of the disease was, was not like, as severe as others. Yeah. But then she wouldn't have gotten treatment, which means she may have, like, it may have been terrible. Yeah. But can we just talk about how antibiotics are the shit? I love antibiotics so much. I mean, they're a game changer, except at a certain point, things become resistant. I know. Like, I think with Hansen's disease, too, the antibiotics they initially were treating it with, now the, is it disease infection? I always have a hard time between the difference. Infectious diseases. I don't know. Words and stuff. Infectious disease. I just want to call it leprosy, but you won't let me. You can call it leprosy. The leprosy is, like, has basically... What is the word? Tell me the word. Where it's, like... Evolved? Evolved, but it's, like... it's Developed immunity? Yeah, that's probably the right way to say it. Developed resistance? Both. All of those things. All three of those things, leprosy has done. Yes. Basically, the antibiotics initially responded to it no longer does, but there's a new type of antibiotic that it now responds to which is cool but like it's only a matter of time just like these antibiotic resistant forms of gonorrhea and chlamydia Mm -hmm. which i feel like we've maybe talked before about on the podcast but probably not enough and this book as quickly as i read it believe me it triggered some deep fears Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that are becoming um, antibiotic resistance right wow, now. Like, that really helps. There's a, and I'm just going to talk a little bit more about this because I love this stuff. So there's a multi-drug resistant form of tuberculosis that was essentially like... What if you have your vaccinations? Well, that helps and then you won't get it. But okay. 
feel um, better. Tuberculosis. I mean, there's still tons of people across the planet that aren't vaccinated against tuberculosis. I was also going to say, isn't tuber... Wow, I can't talk. These fucking pina coladas. Isn't tuberculosis not actually curable? It's something where it's like it goes into remission. The symptoms could come back anytime. Like Hansen's disease, which isn't curable either. You can just kind of like knock out the... Yeah, I mean, I think that it's... I mean, like a lot of things, like there's... There are little bits of bacteria in your body at any time or Mm -hmm. virus in your body at any time. And whether or not they show symptoms is like, we don't actually fucking know. However, they do have treatment for it, but it's like you have to take the drugs on a regular interval for like weeks in order for it to actually be effective. And what they're figuring out now is that like, it's actually, they're not developing drugs fast enough to treat the diseases that are becoming resistant to them. And part of the problem is that pharmaceutical companies don't actually make enough money off of antibiotics for them to continue to develop them. And so a lot of things um, like antibiotics, like new antibiotics aren't being developed right now. They're developing things that are for chronic diseases instead, like Wellbutrin and things that manage like blood pressure and diabetes and like Mm. chronic things rather than like one-time things because you know one dose of antibiotics is like a one-time thing that's why the treatment for hepatitis b is like three hundred thousand dollars because they spent so much money creating it that they basically need to get their money back and they know that if you take it one time you're never going to take it again so they needed to like do the math and figure out like how many people with health insurance and like or money who have hepatitis b how much do we have to charge for it in order to like make our money make our money back and like give money to our investors while still being able to like treat the people who don't have any money that you basically have to give this to for free there's a lot of math in here it's just like really depressing i feel like everyone better not get sick I've got another one for you. Thanks. Just keep piling it on. The other one is that they're no longer creating antivenoms. What the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? I I see so many rattlesnakes and I'm always like, it's fine. There's antivenom everywhere. No, they're stopping to, they're basically stopping making antivenom for the same reason. There's shortages of antivenom all over the world. Uh, so I should not go outside, basically. Well, so I mean, like, if you live in a place that has a ton of rattlesnakes, your local place probably has anti-venom for a rattlesnake. But, like, for example, if there was, like, a snake that's not super common and you got bit by it, they definitely don't have the anti-venom Well, I will that. say, like, as someone who's been bitten by a lot of brown recluse spiders, the, and by that I mean two, but that seems more than the average, you know, bear. Yeah. Um they're always like yeah there's no anti-venom you just like hope that either like steroids or you like your own immune system will heal it on its own because like other if it spreads too quickly to your bloodstream like there's really not that much they can do about it because there's no anti-venom and i'm like um can we fix this because there's a lot of brown recluses in my life and they seem to fucking hate me Mm mm-hmm um, cool. So I started this episode feeling slightly anxious. Now I feel more and I'm gonna need a drink really quickly. So we're gonna need to take a break so I can All go right. cry in the corner. I'm gonna go blend another pina colada. Excellent. Fresh pina colada time. It really helped. I feel less emotional and less anxious. <sighs> I feel like you still have enough anxiety to last you through the next 15 minutes of this episode. I but. do. I wish I brought my blood pressure cuff so we could have seen just how much that conversation made it go up (sighs) just breathe and drink just breathe and drink i like that quote actually i might get that tattooed oh that should be like our motto (laughs) just breathe and drink or just read and drink that makes more sense i guess (laughs) or you can do what you do and hold your breath for each page that you're reading yeah or take a sip hold your breath read a page that didn't make any sense. So this, <laughs> you're just trying you to like drown yourself. Um, this book, so you know how in some of our earlier episodes we talked about how books written by men are, um, books written by men are bad because they're. I feel like you need to say no more. I remember and I agree <laughs> with our previous sentiments. What I what I was trying to get out of my mouth here was that when a man writes about the female perspective, they tend. 
When a man writes from a female perspective, you were saying. <laughs> I saw the build-up for that. I tried like, to hold it in, but you didn't. Like, if you had kept talking over me, it would have stopped. But you let it happen. I want you to know that was your fault. Continue. What about shitty men? Um, so this book is written by a man, and I actually was surprised because... For the past several books, I've been looking into the author before we read the book. And for this one, I'd never heard of this book before, so I didn't look into the author. It was a recommendation from one of our listeners. And I was like, I trust you wholeheartedly. And turns out that was a good choice. Yeah. I actually really, really enjoyed this book. I think this is one of the books that I've liked so far. I'd give it like within our top five. Yeah. And you can read it in 36 hours. Yeah. Well, I read this actually when I was on vacation and it was delightful. I, again, you were in Hawaii, which yeah. also helps. I was reading it like when it was freezing cold and storming and I was like under a lot of stress and I was just like, I can't be bothered with your fucking leprosy lady. But like also it kept reminding me to like be grateful for my life because I was like, why are you stressed out just because you haven't finished this project at work? Like some people are quarantined and separated from their families, but like my problems are bigger just saying. Do you know there's still people living on Molokai? But it's, like, not just a colony of lepers. Can I just say lepers? I I mean, I feel like it was a leper colony, whether or not it's fair to say that they were lepers. Yeah, it was a Hanson colony. It was a Hanson colony. It was, like, a real Scandinavian place, (laughs) you could say. Yeah, I mean, so I think that when I was reading this book, not knowing who the author was, I was genuinely impressed by how like the emotions of the little girl were portrayed and like her adolescence and the emotions of like all of her friends, they all seemed pretty genuine and realistic. Although looking back now that I know that a dude wrote this, I think that he made the women seem a little bit more like pissy than Mm -hmm. maybe they really would have been. But I also think that there, there are lots of people who like in with these circumstances would kind of just be like shitty to everyone around them because their feelings are hurt, you know? And so I think this is probably I would also say, like, I know you mentioned our heroine is not a perfect person. Like, she sometimes has these little outbursts. I actually felt like overall people were pretty much, like, finding the silver lining of a shitty situation. Yeah. And, I mean, they did still manage to, like, build their own communities and have lives that were worth living and rewarding even though... You know, obviously they had been outcasted in this way. And I did think it was interesting, you know, when Rachel returns to the mainland. Well, not mainland, but, you know, not the Kalapapa. When she's able to leave the colony because she's had six, you know, snips free of leprosy. So they let her go back into the world. Basically, she's free. She almost in a way finds like, wow, it's harder to you know, carry around this disease and this stigma in the, like, not real world, but in the world with other people who don't have it, where there was a sense of, like, safety and security with being with people like you, and you didn't have to deal with that level of discrimination. So, Mm -hmm. again, that's not like, oh, so therefore it was a good thing that they just, like, shipped them all to the same place. Yeah. But in some ways, it's like you get to be around people who don't judge you because everyone's suffering from the same affliction. And there was something nice about that. She found her, what do you call it, Ohana? Yes. Ohana means family. Is that Lilo and Stitch? Yes. Um, I think... You earlier in the podcast you mentioned like what kind of particularly tugged on my heartstrings, and it reminded me that when her husband got his like sixth snip and he was like basically free to go on parole, Mm -hmm. but he found out that Rachel's sixth snip didn't come back clean, and he was like, "Don't tell her. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say mine didn't come back." And then, like, he stayed with her and then ended up dying. Like, he was a good dude. He was definitely a good dude. I also thought that was sweet. But, again, I was reading it quickly and my reaction was, wow, no one will ever fucking love me that much, you lucky leprous bitch. Well, I mean, I remember when I was reading that, too, I think, like, there's not a lot of people who are like that character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as much as well, to I'm a certain like, extent, are they just writing the perfect man that doesn't exist, or are we just not good enough to deserve a man like that? I think 
that there's probably men who exist that are like that, but like to be honest, I'm never attracted to them because I'm like, you weak bitch. Yeah. I was also going to say, like... (laughs) I'm such a fucking terrible person, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, we're both terrible people. That's why we're friends. However, I do think there's also a benefit to living in a colony where, like, they have this disease that really, like, physically disfigures a lot of them, where, Mm -hmm. I mean, they all have to look past the superficial to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. So maybe sometimes, like, there's good people out there that we overlook for superficial reasons, but... I mean, initially, Rachel had other people who she was into, and she tried to date this one guy for a time that was a total babe, and then he turned out not to be that nice of a guy, or just to be, like, a scaredy cat who was like, oh, leprosy, I'm scared, which, like, I get it, but also, (laughs) like, he really went far down that road only to be like, oh, this was kind of, like, taboo and interesting, but I can't do it. Sorry, you're a babe, but, like, I am a scaredy cat. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like after that, she was like, maybe go for the nice guy, you know? She had to learn the hard way, just like the rest of us do. I know. But she had a great husband, and then he died in a really sad and, in my opinion, unnecessary way. I also I thought agree. when they started talking about the fact, like, oh, World War II is happening, I was like, ah, oh, shit, now he's going to go to an internment camp, but how can he? Because he has Hansen's disease. And the fact that the author didn't go there surprised me, because he definitely decided, like, every other historical event had to touch their life in a very deeply personal way. Well, I mean, they did talk about the internment camps, because they had a daughter that was adopted by a Japanese couple in California, and they ended up having to go to an internment camp, Mm -hmm. um, because Rachel's husband was Japanese. Yes. Which I don't know if we mentioned. I don't think we did mention. I just (laughs) said they were going to send him to internment camp for being such a nice guy. (laughs) Which that's where all the nice men go. Go to an internment camp and pick yourself up a nice dude. That's a sad, sad and inappropriate comment. Yeah, it was really insensitive. Take it back. I apologize. So anyway, I mean, I think that they, I think that. It was probably a conscious decision, like, based on historical facts. Like, I can't imagine that they would, like, intern Japanese people who were, like, already essentially in I an mean, yeah, camp. like, they like, were basically imprisoned already. Yeah, like, what are they going to do from Molokai? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that it, they did, they did bring in some lining. of that. Well, no, I mean, I think that they brought in some of that racism that people had against Japanese people at the time. With, like, the fight that he got in with the one ex-military dude who mm-hmm. was just really super racist and shitty and an alcoholic and, like, I think felt terrible about his own life and his own choices and... Wanted ended to up take it out on everyone else. Everyone. He, like, beat up everybody around him, like, angry white dude syndrome. Is that mm. a real thing? Because it should be. He was, angry like... Angry AWS. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, all-wheel steering, but also angry... Uh, yeah. A-W-D-S. Amazon Web Services also. Ouds. Yeah, I mean, but mostly angry. <laughs> they got the outs. <laughs> yeah, the outs. Outs! Yeah. Sounds like angry white dude syndrome. Yeah, which I think is a real thing. Yeah, I do. And I... Man, I do really think we should also talk about the fact that she and her husband had a daughter that they had to give up. And, like, I also... That was at a point in the book where I was like, oh, one more sad thing. Just throw it in here. Yeah. But it was nice that they were able to kind of have that reconciliation Mm -hmm. at the end of the book and that, you know, this girl was able to, like, see where her mom had come from. But it was also, like, really sad that her mom was like, I wanted you to be free and have a good life. And then her daughter Ruth is like, so actually I went to an internment camp and was never free. But thanks anyways. Yeah, that was, that was shitty. But I think that was, like, part of, I mean, what reflects back. Like, everything fucking bad happened to these people. Like, everything was bad. And yeah. they still managed to, like, build Make a life out of, good it. out of it. And, you know, and I, I don't want to be, it's like, oh, they made, you know, lemonade out of lemons kind of thing. But I, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, who are you, Beyonce? I'm not. I, I wish. wish. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like. You know, I, don't, I think that, that that almost makes it a little cliche when you're like, they made something beautiful out of something ugly. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that's just kind of life is like... Well, like you said, they just kept... Life good things. Yeah, they just kept living. And they definitely talk about a lot in this book, like, depression and kind of, like, just carrying on. Like, two of the nuns in this book, one of which Rachel is super close to, 
they suffer from depression and, you know, even, you know, consider killing themselves. One of the nuns is like has a father and a mother that end up killing herself. So they definitely touch on these kind of dark, depressing moments and like, you know, having people that kind of literally and figuratively pull you back from the ledge and just like keep you going when it seems like you have nothing left to live for. And I did think that that was a beautiful part of the book, but I mean, it was pretty bleak. It was a really bleak book. It was, I mean, it was just a sad story. I think this is a sad part of American history. It's a sad part of, you know, global history. These kind of diseases are tragic. Yeah. They're tragic and the things that it does to the people around them is tragic. And I think that, I mean, it's one of the things that has shaped human civilization in general. It's the reason that we have any sort of sanitation system in the first place. Like, disease kind of goes hand in hand with human development, like, as a species. Mm-hmm. I just, I also think you probably knew more about these kind of, you know, quote-unquote leper colonies than I did because you did study public health, but... I was surprised, like, they talked about in here, like, oh, there was also one in Louisiana and all these places, Mm -hmm. and I feel like I knew about them as a concept, but I never thought about what it was like for the people who were sent there, and I do think, like, you know, you read in American literature stuff about internment camps and, you know, even people kind of going through the Holocaust and all these situations and where people are kind of unjustly imprisoned in these different situations, and... This was one that I was surprised I hadn't really delved deep into before. And I think it's an important part of our history, not just as a country, but as, you know, a species. Yeah. And the way that we deal with these situations. And we never seem to get it right. Like, we never miss an opportunity to do the wrong thing. I think that's a really interesting point. Because I think when you look at the sort of internment or concentration camps or things like that, it's really easy to see the injustice in those because when you look at them, you're... Because you're, there was no real good or no reason. It was not... Well, go ahead. I won't interrupt you for once. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that when you look at them now, you can look at the fault in the people's logic that, like, they didn't have anything to be afraid of. They were afraid of people who were different than them. They were afraid of people who had, you know, different beliefs than they did or whatever. They wanted power, and there was some ulterior motive for that. But I think when you look back at these places where people were interned because of a disease or isolated because of a disease, like, that fear still exists in the same way that it existed for them now or existed for them then. Like, if you... If you found out that someone who sat in the cubicle next to you had leprosy and like you'd probably be like, I don't want to be next to that person because that's scary for me. Where it's not like, you know, now if you were sitting next to a Japanese person or a Jewish person or any of the number of people that have been interned for some reason or another, you wouldn't be like, I don't want to sit next to that person because they're different. Although there's definitely some people that feel that way. I mean, yeah, there are. But I think we can all acknowledge those people are assholes. Yeah. Whereas, like, people don't acknowledge that isolating someone because of a disease is, like, an asshole tendency because quarantine is still kind of best practice for really contagious diseases. And rightfully so. I mean... Well, there's... But I think the thing that's a problem is there's so much stigma, not just a disease like this, but I know we touched on briefly in the last episode, like, different STDs are just, you know, certain things where people see these diseases as being, like, an affliction that's, like, unclean or immoral. Yeah, Yeah, versus, you know, you see someone that appears to have cancer because they have no hair or, you know, someone that has, like, a physical disease that you don't judge to be, you know, a moral failure. Well, even just, like, a moral failure. Like, people see someone who is morbidly obese and they see that as, oh, that person's disgusting. And yeah they're repulsive because you know they are like a failure of a human being because they let themselves get like this some of these it is interesting the diseases that are seen or the like afflictions that are seen in that way and the ones that are seen as like okay and not your fault yeah that is a really interesting point as well I mean I feel like we still have a lot to learn as a society about like how we how we treat disease generally and I mean I think that when you look at something that's contagious, like people people seem to fear it, but they also kind of goes back to people not having a great grasp on science. It's mm-hmm. like people don't actually understand how you get something from another person. I think like people fear like 
you know, being around someone who has like cold sores or being around someone who, you know, has like some physical deformity or they're obese or there's Mm -hmm. like some issue, like they're like, ew, I don't want to be around that person because then I'm going to be seen as like, you know, having a moral failing also. Like it goes back to just people not understanding what that actually means. But also I'd like to just real quickly touch on the fact that there are so many diseases that are highly contagious that people don't worry about. No, that people can vaccinate against that people are not yeah. vaccinating their children against right now. And like, I just want to like ones? use the platform of like the very small number of people who listen to this podcast and tell them like vaccinate your children because there are actual diseases that will kill you that you can prevent and yeah. you should vaccinate your kids. And you should do everything you can to vaccinate your kids and ooh, yeah. Even against um Oh my gosh, what's the one that causes cervical cancer that I can't think HPV. Of? HPV. Like, I've heard several people recently tell yeah. me that they don't want to vaccinate their little kids against HPV because their kids aren't going to be exposed to HPV. And I'm like, you're full of shit because you have no idea what, what like, your kid is an actual human being that exists outside of you. And mm-hmm. you have no idea what's going to happen to them in their life or what they're going to choose to do in their life. And if you don't provide them that protection and, like, you know that your child is healthy enough to receive that vaccination. Like, that's a failing of you as a parent. I also think it comes back to, like, stigmatizing certain diseases and saying, my kid's not going to be the type of person who contracts that Mm -hmm. because they won't behave in this way. A hundred percent. We're all human beings, and what is, you know, so important in this book and what people overlook when they fear these things is the human element of, like, anyone who has any disease, no matter how benign or atrocious it is, everyone's human and we fail to see each other in that way and like any of these things could happen to any of us like if any of us are being honest with ourselves I can say any so many times more than like it's great um any oh my god I just can't stop saying it we could all end up with any affliction and none of us are better than anyone else and everyone should just fear the reaper man (laughs) well i think that that's part of the reason that he wrote this book from the point of view of a small child and didn't give any explanation for how she contracted yeah so it was like maybe you'll actually feel some sympathy for her and not start making assumptions about yeah you know some moral failing as to why she contracted it exactly um and i know we're running up against time but i did want to touch on the fact before we get into ratings that there so this book was initially published in 2003 so a while ago mm-hmm. um and actually alan brennert has written a sequel um that focuses it's basically like a what's the right term like a story that happens simultaneously what's the term for that it is simul. I feel like there's another word, but let's go with the simultaneous companion tale. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so it tells the story of Ruth, which is Rachel's daughter. um, And it basically picks up where she is given um, to this orphanage and then tells her story of going to California and being adopted and ending up in Manzanar, which is an internment camp. Um, And, ends up kind of coming full circle with her meeting her birth mother, it sounds like, and it, it sounds like it goes into a little bit more of backstory there. So if you liked Molokai, um, you would probably be into this book, and it actually hasn't come out yet. It comes out in February of this year, which is crazy because it's like 16 years later, and now he's writing a sequel. But perfect timing for us on the cast because yeah. if we were interested, we can read the sequel, which brings me to... Will you read the sequel? How did you feel about this book, Brandy? I actually really, really like this book. And are we rating it on a five scale or a ten? We've been scale? rating things on a ten scale. We could change it up if no, you want to no. be new in the new year. No, I I feel like I had a personal connection to this book because I really enjoy public health stories, and I think that this kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. So I would give it a nine. That's a high rating. Um, I almost feel like it's unfair for me to write this book, but I liked it. I would recommend it to other people. In fact, I have told people like, yeah, you should read it. You will like it. Just don't be dead inside when you read it is my only recommendation. So I'll give it a 7.5 and I'm probably like inflating that slightly just because I know it was better than I experienced it, but I really have no complaints. I just wanted it to hurry up so I could do my homework and yeah. 
That's why you don't read things when you're in a rush. Well, I think that's part of the reason I just didn't like as many books that I had to read as part of school projects because... That's what it felt like where I just felt like I got to get done with this. But actually, I know everyone on... In our club would not judge us. Well, so this is a real, this was a real leisure read for me, but I think we're going to have a little bit of a heavier book next time. So we got an email um, from one of our readers about the next book that we're going to read. What is it? I don't even know. Oh, I didn't tell you? No. Oh. You don't tell me anything. I'm sorry. So um, Jen wrote us, I have no idea where you're from. Jen, um, let me know because you didn't tell me in your email. It recommended the book by Trevor Noah called Born a Crime. How is that going to be heavy? He's a comedian. He is a comedian, but it's an autobiographical story about his life growing up in South Africa, which apparently was, like, kind of hard. But um, she said... Is it, like, apartheid South Africa? Yes. Oh. Well, hence born a crime, because gotcha. he's half... So, hashtag kind of hard. Yeah. But, um, so, apparently the book is, like, really informative, very funny, and, like, a genuinely, like, pleasurable read. So I'm excited to read it. Thank you, Jen, for the recommendation. Um, we're going to get started with it and come at you next week with a new episode, giving you a little bit of background about it. Um, if you have any book recommendations for us, just shoot us an email at letsgetlitpodcast at gmail.com. And if you seem cool and like you have good taste, then we'll pick your book for our next book read book. Yeah, we will. I'm excited to read a book by a man where he's not trying to write in a woman's shoes. Me too. Cheers to that. Cheers. Are you lit yet? No. I tried.